0: what's up everyone welcome back to the planet today it's monday may 23rd 2022 i am your host matt norden here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with james leitner of mission clean water Before we do that, today's episode is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. And with that, we're going to get right into the interview. Today on TPT, we are joined by James Leitner. James is the founder and executive director of Mission Clean Water, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to providing clean water for areas in need. James Leitner, this is a long time coming, but welcome to the planet today.
1: Thank you, Matt, for having me. This is a, a huge pleasure and I'm uh, happy to be here.
0: For those of you who don't know, James and I have been <laughs> friends for many, many years. We met in college and uh, became fast friends through Ultimate Frisbee and uh, remained friends post-grad, so happy to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, it has
1: been a quite a long time. I think I remember you freshman year moving in.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... All right, let's take it back a bit. What first got you interested in environmentalism and sustainability?
1: Ooh, uh, environmental sustainability and everything. I think it all really kind of began. So I grew up in a town called Scottish Plains, New Jersey, and I kind of describe it as like stereotypical suburbia, you know, commuter to New York City lifestyle. And I think it all really kind of started towards the end of my high school career, I guess you can say, junior and senior year, when a lot of the curriculum began to kind of switch towards studying global issues as well as environmental issues. And that kind of began sparking the interest. And I think also at that time, I was kind of going through a change of like, all right, I got to pick a college degree. Do I want to go like the accounting route or do I want to go the environmental route and pick some sort of wishy-washy major of combining those but then towards college just kind of went all right environmental science
0: Gotcha so how did you take that idea and turn it into what you're doing today with mission clean water where where did that start and you know maybe where did your passion for clean water itself come in? the passion for clean water kind of really all starts at the very beginning and it was really just kind of like
1: one of those shell shock kind of light bulb moments. Uh, And I wish it was a more crazier story, but it's very simply that junior year of high school in a class called global perspectives, you were told to research food, water, or energy. And why is it a global issue? And I knew Mm -hmm. a decent, decent bit about food as well as energy. So renewables and non-renewables, but water was something I had no idea about. And this was in 2010 and when I began doing that research and learned that a billion people plus in the world don't have access to clean water and more than 2 billion don't have access to a toilet. I was like, I just couldn't fathom that fact. And it kind of blew me away. And for the next week plus months, plus just began researching and learning as much as possible. And that honestly completely changed the trajectory of my life, if anything. And that kind of began, but me working with other nonprofits in terms of fundraising and trying to get involved to kind of where I am today. And it's been quite a, quite a bumpy road.
0: So you started Mission Clean Water while you were still working for, I forget what your first job was at a college.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the kind of the path, graduated University of Delaware in 2015. Yeah. And I wasn't tied to anything. Uh, I graduated with environmental science, environmental economics. I was like, I want to live anywhere. I'm not tied to a specific location. And I ended up moving to West Virginia in a very small rural town of 300 people. And West Virginia to me is this beautiful haven in the United States that is extremely underrepresented. It is one of the most If you love the outdoors, it's beautiful. And um, before then, when in college, I was just fundraising for different nonprofit organizations that were doing clean water work, as well as I was kind of consulting on the side to assist much smaller nonprofits in terms of managing their clean water projects, uh, mostly in Tanzania. But then when I moved to West Virginia in a town of 300 people, my fundraising opportunities completely disappeared because I'm not at University of Delaware with 26,000 college students anymore. Not
0: a huge network there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the network is gone as well as the um, interests are very different as well. And uh, really had to find very creative ways. But also at that time, when I was working with other nonprofits, I began learning the bad sides of the nonprofit and NGO world and kind of, you know, got to really experience the good, bad and ugly and really wanted to, you know, formulate Mission Clean Water as its own organization. And Mission Clean Water wasn't considered or proposed to be a nonprofit until uh, 2018.
0: Gotcha. So what do you do there today as executive director and what does your organization do for the listeners who have never heard of it?
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: so, very simply said, Mission Clean Water, we're a
1: non-profit, 501c3 organization, as you said in the intro, and, you know, our whole focus is to provide clean drinking water to underserved communities, and, you know, I'm not the first one to tell people that clean water is an issue, it's been around and, you know, studied and People have been trying to help for decades and decades, since really since the 1970s. But once you begin to get involved on in the nonprofit side and definitely on the international side of clean water efforts, you begin learning that a lot of these projects with wonderful intentions are no longer working and typically fail within their first year of operation. And I began to see that regularly when I was visiting Tanzania, and I kind of describe it as like this little... Swiss cheese of all these little hand-pumped-esque wells just being drilled into the ground in hopes that water comes out and, you know, nothing's coming out anymore. So through Mission Clean Water, our focus is really to create community-focused clean water efforts and really understand that, you know, I'm from the United States. I am working in a completely different country, a completely different region for people I personally don't know and I'm not from. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely important that as an organization, we're very, you know, ethical and cautious about those facts. And Mission Clean Water really just focuses and functions as kind of like a financial assistance and engineering assistance organization. And we provide the tools for the communities to give themselves clean water.
0: So I want to talk about that a little bit more because I remember a while ago when you were telling me about how you wanted to operate Mission Clean yeah. Water differently. You are saying how a lot of those wells that you just referenced, they're kind of just there. There's a plaque that says this was donated by whoever mm-hmm. and it's not working. So yeah. what do you do differently and how does your community-based approach make you stand out compared to those other plaques of things that didn't work out?
1: Sure. So I kind, of, kind of a good example is looking at why those projects might have failed first And, you know, it's kind of the approach that a lot of for-profit companies have. We need to be creating as many wells as possible to make our donors as happy as possible, show the progress that we're making. But if we begin doing clean water projects in a very uh, quick manner or very rough way, there's a lot of key things that are being ignored. So for example, you might be completing a hand pump style project and pump projects really only provide clean water to a very small community. But if you're saying it's providing clean water to 2,000, 3,000 people plus, it's probably being used 24 hours a day. And that well that is being accessed to or the groundwater is will eventually go dry. As well as if you're rushing to get to the next community, you know these are infrastructure, these are mechanical pieces, and there's tons of moving parts and things are going to break to be honest there's really no way of avoiding it and if someone in the community isn't taught or knows how to fix it and if they can't get a hold of you to help then you know the project is kind of destined to fail as well as if you if you know i came to you know we're you live in New York City and in your community, I said, I'm going to come here, build this well for you. And we're heading on out. We haven't instilled any sense of ownership of the project. We just kind of built it and left. You're like, all right, now what do we do? Do we do we use it? Are we in charge of it? What's going on Mm -hmm. So really at Mission Clean Water? We kind of really take a lot of due diligence to ensure that, all right, if we are building a clean water project in this area, is it actually going to be a sustainable resource considering populations are going to grow and change and people are going to move around is the water we're actually providing clean which we have seen as regular oversight and other clean water projects as well as what steps are we putting in place to ensure the community members know how to take care of it they know how to find assistance if something is not working what kind of checks and balances can they do to understand what might not be working and how to measure impact and everything. And it's kind of this two utility system where we're still around to help out. You know, we're not leaving this specific location, as well as the community members have their own little committee in charge to kind of maintain all these projects.
0: So to compare it to something that people might be more familiar with, a race, you are treating installing the well as the starting line where a lot of other places before have treated it as the finish line.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, or you can kind of think of it as like, if you went to a 5k or half marathon, and we created the start line, Mm -hmm. and then just told you to to go. And there's no specific route. You just gotta, you know, there's 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 eight stations somewhere out there. But here's there's no map. If you just keep on wandering around, you'll eventually find it. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. But if you're not back, And a half hour, we're packed. So you're designing the course. You're making sure that everything gets to the point it needs to get to so they can continue to use this well and maintain it long term.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we are the race organizers. We are reaching out to you afterwards to make sure you can get you ready for the next half marathon, making sure you're properly planned for the entire process, I guess you could say.
0: Got it. I want to talk to you a bit about the fundraisers that you've done in the past. And one that I think listeners will be amazed and fascinated by is when you walked 3,250 miles across the country while pulling 90 pounds of water. And you've also done ultra marathons that we can get into. But let's start with your walk across the country. What was going on with that? Tell me everything that we need to know. (laughs) What was going on with
1: that? A lot of things are going on with that. Uh, I think a good
0: uh, with clean
1: water issues there's kind of this consistent problem that if you don't have access to clean water someone has to walk and collect water and about 5 gallons of water or about 45 pounds so I had 10 gallons of water with me 5 gallons is enough for one person a day so typically if you're the youngest girl and child of the family it's your job to get water for your family and if you got two, three, four, or five people, a party of family, you're making this walk multiple times. And yeah. so when I was doing work in Tanzania, I kind of did the simple math and learned that a child is walking roughly 3,250 miles a year to get water for their family. And that just so happens to be a very nice squiggly line across the United States. And I wanted to symbolize the challenges that community members and children and people face to really get water for their families and you know we can kind of justify and say however long it takes me to make it from new jersey to san francisco which was the route but with lots of ups and downs and left and right turns that many days is how long someone is losing in a year to get water just to get water for their family and what's kind of this other crazy complex is that you know children just think this is another chore and this is like you and i going to get mm-hmm. the mail it's just something that has to happen every
0: single day so how long did that take you?
1: It took, me, it took me 143 days to complete, which is actually a pretty quick pace for, for going across the United States on foot. And I think that averages about a marathon a day, roughly speaking
0: all while pulling 90 pounds of water and whatever other gear. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So to kind of put the image into people's head, um, I had like a big camping backpack strapped to my back that had like my daily supplies. So food, my personal water source, uh, change of clothes, uh, camping gear, things like that. Then attached to my waist, kind of like a pole cart, was uh, the 10 gallons of water and just a few other essentials that I had with me. And the general route started in New Jersey and actually went north to Buffalo, New York, and then west through Canada, because that was kind of the easiest way to get to like central Michigan to volunteer in Flint, Michigan for some time. Mm -hmm. And then kind of this southwest path to Denver, Colorado, um, over the mountains, through the desert to Salt Lake City, through the Nevada desert, eventually landing in the San Francisco Bay area.
0: So that was your first soiree into absolutely punishing your body. That was the second
1: soiree. Actually. <laughs> second, what
0: was the first one?
1: So the first one was when I was in West Virginia and I was thinking to myself, like, what can I possibly do to fundraise and advocate for clean water? Cause it was bothering me that I wasn't really able to do anything. I wanted to do something that no one has really done before. <clears throat> so I said, can I carry 45 pounds of water during a marathon. I'm not an ultra, I wasn't a distance runner at all. And this, I think was in April, 2016. And I just was like, I'm going to do it, paid my money. And I had four months to train for the New Jersey marathon to carry 45 pounds of water on my head for the entire race and uh, finished the New Jersey marathon and then did uh, 12 in total. So a marathon a month for a year.
0: I I think I remember now that you mentioned that, is there a picture of you carrying the water above your head with like a blue t-shirt on during the marathon? There
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Super fan right here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, You've been following the story forever. Uh, Training was horrible for that because there was the like three or four days a week where I was um, just typically running like a very (laughs) usual marathon training program. Like, all right, this week we got five mile runs next week, six and just slowly progressing higher and higher. But the days that I wasn't running, I like would where I was living in West Virginia it was like this little townhouse and I had an empty room and I would just hold a 45 pound jug of water or weight above my head for as long as I could taking the same marathon training concepts to holding weights above my head. Uh, where I would start like, all right, this is just an hour. We'll do an hour 15 next day, hours 30 and slowly progress higher and higher until I just had to hold a weight above my head for like three and a half hours. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm marathon ready at this point. And it was grueling. And honestly, those marathons was probably the most sore I've ever been compared to anything else I've ever.
0: And how does that stack up with some of the ultra marathon or other endurance challenges that you've done? And You know, how are you doing those as a fundraiser is another good question to keep this more (laughs) focused here. (laughs) Yeah, focus on
1: is we can get on very wild tangents. So it's kind of like a direction into kind of what I call adventure fundraising, where if you look at the cross country trip, for example, it's, you know, there's the journey, there's the symbolism behind it, and there's the fundraising goal. And similar to if you know you have a half marathon coming up, or if you wanted to do a marathon, you want to dedicate that half marathon to a cause you know personal to you, you know removing plastics from the ocean, uh, mm-hmm. better energy, water conservation, whatever it might be, and you want to raise X amount of dollars. There's different. It's all about transparency and sharing the highs and lows of training, as well as the actual race, and then sharing different milestones. So when you kind of announce an event or you're a fundraiser while doing a half marathon or whatever it might be, uh, you'll get a good chunk of donations. When you're 25% to your goal, 50%, 75%, just whatever you can that kind of symbolizes these different milestones towards adventure fundraising. So if you look at the cross-country trip, there's the kind of donation milestones. But then also when I was, you know, starting the event, announcing it, And I was like a quarter of the way, halfway, 75% and so on. And all that filler time in between was what can I do to keep you consistently interested in the story? Because people are, you know, living curiously through you and they want to know like what's going on because, you know, I got to experience working on a farm in Nebraska for a day and not everyone gets to do that. So people were like, that's cool. How can I learn more about that?
0: So what's the next fundraiser that's on the pipeline for you? I know you have a big one coming up starting next month in June, right?
1: Very soon. Yes. Uh, So June 1st, June 1st, indeed. June 1st, I'm going to begin completing a marathon every day for 52 days. So 52 marathons in total. The reason for this is because I will be representing the fifty well fifty states in the United States, as well as D.C. and Puerto Rico. And each day, I'll kind of pick a different to different country, different state, and highlight their different clean water issues that we might be facing. Because in 2022, uh, Mission Clean Water, besides doing the international work that we talked about before, uh, primarily in Uganda, we're now beginning to do some domestic clean water work here in New Jersey and maybe possibly in some other states. So this is kind of like a big symbolic fundraiser to talk about some domestic issues as well as to reach our reach my hopeful goal of $100,000 so fingers crossed.
0: Awesome. So how can listeners get involved with uh, either keeping up with that or maybe somebody wants to join and run a marathon with you one day? (laughs) So I'm still kind of finalizing the details of where each of the marathons will be.
1: The original goal was to do it in each of the states as well as D.C. and Puerto Rico. But uh, funding challenges made it a little more logistically challenging. But Mm -hmm. I have the whole thing planned out. So if anyone wants to help out with those funding barriers,
0: let me know. If you have an RV and are willing to drive around. (laughs) Exactly. Um, The gas is so much more expensive.
1: But um, what
0: was it? Uh, So
1: what what I've been telling people is there's a lot of days I have just still open, not finalized based on their location. So if you want me to come to where you are and have me do one of the marathons there, just let me know. I would love doing that. You know, I would do a marathon around the Central Park so you can come join that if you have a business or anything like that, that wants to kind of work with me, you know, I'll run a marathon pretty much anywhere and anyone is welcome to join for a mile, you know, a few miles, the entire thing. Uh, So you can pretty much find all the information on Mission Clean Water's website, which is simply just missioncleanwater.org.
0: And we're also going to link that in the show notes. So don't even worry about remembering it. Just go grab it, click. Um, Yeah, James, we can definitely talk about it. I'm going to be, couple weeks removed from a half marathon at that point. So yeah, I'm also running the New York marathon. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the show, but that's in November. So June will be a good month to start training. So yeah, maybe we can work something out in Central Park and Exciting. do a little mission, clean water, the planet today crossover. Might get a
1: marathon in before <laughs> that New York marathon.
0: <laughs> I That's got to be my not. first one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know.
1: I always bug you about this, but you're never going to cave.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, t- I'm too stubborn. So with Mission Clean Water, I know you mentioned that you want to get involved more locally and that's going to start in New Jersey, hopefully some other states. Um, You are currently doing work in Uganda. Is the plan to continue work there as well? Um, Are you going to branch out to other areas in Africa as well or kind of just focus on Uganda, focus on New Jersey for now and we'll see where this takes us? Sure.
1: No, really great question. So I guess first, well, a basic answer is we're focusing kind of all our efforts in Uganda, as well as I guess primarily right now in the greater New Jersey area. Um, I do get asked a lot if I would consider working in other countries that barrier Uganda or in that area. And generally speaking, right now, just not kind of taking that as a thought because we've done so much time on the ground to kind of learn about the area we've been in Uganda, and become kind of, you know, experts in knowing who to talk to, the different officials, and just spending quality time talking to communities. And even if we wanted to work in like the western parts of Uganda, it's a completely different culture and atmosphere. So kind of where we are is where we're kind of situated for quite some time to be better engraved until we have opportunity to grow and see where else we can kind of take our focus. But, you know, we have a humongous water action plan that could take, you know, quite some time to finish. So we're in generally no rush to expand kind of in that front. Here in New Jersey, we found two different nonprofits that we're working with, or sorry, one nonprofit, one community based organization, the Newark Water Coalition and 501C3. Uh, That's actually their name, not just like their nonprofit tag. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's 501C, then the three spelled out. The 501C3, they are the original creators of what's called the water box. And the water box is a very simple mechanism. It's pretty much just a portable water filter system that's on wheels, and you can transport it anywhere. It has filters inside that can pretty much clean anything out of the water that could be contaminating it. You attach it to your a hose outlet or something like that, and water goes through the system, and out comes clean water. And so we've been helping the 501C3 kind of take this water box model and make it more open source. So we kind of originally created a full assembly manual for it. So if you, Matt, are like, my community in the area that I live do not have access to clean water or something's going wrong, you can download that manual, get all the parts at Home Depot or wherever, and build a full functioning water box for everyone. And we're kind of taking this open source approach and assisting a uh, daycare in Newark, New Jersey, that does not have any access to clean water and helping them construct their own water box. We're assisting a farm in Newton, New Jersey, that um, is run by the Lenape tribe. And they also don't have any clean water. And they primarily provide a lot of food for food deserts in the New Jersey area. And we're still kind of getting the last bits of information for areas in um, Jersey City. But, you know, with the lead issues still very common in New Jersey and now PFA issues popping up left and right, there's definitely a lot of um, need prevalent.
0: So it's, it's tremendously inspiring to me that, you know, your organization as a whole is still fairly small. I mean, I don't want to take away from the people you're working with, but I know that you're doing a lot of this while also working another job, while also training for running. I think what you're doing and, and your commitment to all this is incredible. And I'm really excited to see, you know, hopefully this fundraiser is what helps take you to the next level and you get to hire some more people. And this expansion is going to be something that's a little bit more manageable yeah. with a larger team.
1: Definitely. It's been interesting to kind of see kind of this collective agreement from the Mission Clean Water team to do some work here domestically. And not only has that provided us great opportunity to meet wonderful people local new jersey residents also doing wonderful water work and environmental justice work and pretty much everything um but it also has opened the doors for tons of grant opportunities possible new partners and newark new jersey as a whole is a very interesting city uh, Mm -hmm. but growing phenomenally so it's great to try and have kind of a part in that you know economic development of the area and uh you know as a as you can only imagine from what you see, I, uh, from what you see me posting on Instagram and so on, uh, the life of a nonprofit entrepreneur is uh, interesting, and we're definitely in the right direction. The building blocks are there, so we'll see how it continues uh, into 2022 and so on.
0: Awesome. Last question before we get into our rapid fire round: June 1st, we're kicking off 52 marathons in 52 days. What is going to be? the first meal you have after marathon number 52.
1: Oh my God. Uh,
0: <laughs> so
1: there, I know what it is. Um, I'll tell you two things. There's the meal I will have before I start the first marathon is going to be a really nice bowl of like, well, like really high quality ramen. It's,
0: I thought you were going to say that. Cause you told me that's your go-to before a race.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, protein, fat, oils vegetables carbs it has everything
0: it's also just the best food to eat because it's delicious
1: <laughs> and but then i had this after uh, we didn't talk about this but two years ago i did 30 miles a day for 30 days um the meal afterwards i guess i'll give them a shout out two places i will go to my favorite coffee shop uh, the coffee box in rawway and get a croissant and an espresso And then for dinner is going to be uh, a kind of Italian restaurant, but also like a brick oven pizza place called Jessica's Cafe. Very nice, high quality pizza. And they have this vegetable pizza that just has like artichoke hearts, um, zucchinis, everything you could ever imagine on there. That is just a fantastic meal. And I will eat the entire pizza. No problem.
0: It'll be (laughs) well-deserved. All right, ready for the rapid fire?
1: Yes, I came prepared.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Number one, what is your favorite animal?
1: My favorite animal is the squirrel. I've always loved squirrels, I've studied them and they will always be my my favorite, they're ridiculous.
0: All right, number two, what is something you do to be more sustainable in your own life?
1: I I pretty much do everything that like, I think has been said kind of previously, So I'll kind of say something more extreme. Uh, Probably the most extreme thing I do is actually boycotting companies that I don't believe in. So uh, Mm -hmm. if there's a Nestle product out there, I won't consume it because of their water rights issues. But then I guess besides that, I use my reusable bags to go shopping. I got reusable water bottles. Uh, So the usual things, and that's probably the more extreme of the very one's.
0: Yeah, we had an episode that, by the time this one comes out, will have aired last month, and we we talked about Nestle a little bit. Boycott Nestle. Just just Nestle sucks. That's that's the (laughs) short of it.
1: It is ridiculous. All
0: right, number three. What is one environmental topic you think my listeners should be more aware of after hearing from you today?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, which is uh, water. You know, we didn't really talk too much about water uh, issues in the United States. Um, but, you know, a few years ago, um, Cape Town in South Africa had a day zero where a thriving city of millions of people declared they were going to have no more water. Uh, in 2021 and during the summer, Oregon farmers had their water cut off because uh, rivers were going dry and uh, reservoirs were going dry. So water as a whole is going to be a very unique issue and you know water is gold it's becoming much more prevalent so uh, I think if people became much more educated on kind of this very valuable resource we have a very limited amount about uh, we could all be a little more conscious about how we use it and you know we talk a ton about carbon emissions and um, renewable and non-renewable energies but if we kind of took those same models of like how CO2 has spiked over the years and looked at it through water, mm-hmm. uh, there would be much more drastic uh, issues. Prevalent.
0: Yeah, I know um, last month, Representative Ro Khanna from California and Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts introduced a bill to basically treat water as a human right instead of a commodity. Yeah. And they're basically trying to ban futures trading of water, which futures trading of water is a pretty (laughs) scummy thing to do. Um, And it's it's good that, you know, this is something that we need to survive. There's a limited amount of it. We need to take care of it. We need to be more aware of just how our relationship with water truly is. And I think treating it less as a commodity and more as everyone deserves equal access to clean water. It's a good thing.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, water law is such a weird conversation and topic. I mean, there's whole uh, people just cover water law as an issue, and it's drastically different than on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And, you know, we all see the stories. And so it'll be interesting, but there's the conversations of droughts and floods, and all focuses around water. Us East Coasters, when we have worse floods, the West Coaches will have worse droughts and considering more and more people want to move out to the West Coast of Colorado. It's going to be fun in five years.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk about water law when we have you on for part two and talk about how this summer's fundraiser went.
1: Yeah, would absolutely love that. I guess I'll see you July 23rd then.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> James, thank you so much for your time. It's always great catching up with you. And honestly, I can't wait to see where the summer takes you and Mission Clean Water. Appreciate it, Matt. Thank you so much and the Planet Today team for having me. If people want to keep up with you or Mission Clean Water, I know you mentioned your website, which we linked in the show notes, but where else can they do that?
1: Sure. So we do have an Instagram. It's Mission Clean H2O. And then if you want to follow my kind of personal story with running water advocacy and different other interests I have, my Instagram is j- Lightner, which is L-E-I-T-N-E-R.
0: Awesome. I will link them both in the, in the show notes as well. Appreciate so. it. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Thanks again to James for his time on this show. James is one of my very best friends, and this was one of my favorite interviews, so make sure you hit the links in your show notes to check out Mission Clean Water and keep up with James, his fundraisers, and all the other awesome stuff that he's doing. I'm going to be back on Friday with a guest co-host filling in for Nick because he's off in Italy having an awesome time on vacation. So until then, make sure to follow along on our socials at Planet Today Pod for clips from the show and an exclusive quick hit that I'm working on every week. For the Planet Today, I'm Matt Norden. See you on Friday.